Hey, this is the Mid Convo Podcast with Paul and Ed, and today we are joined by a special guest, Christian Schultz. He's a director based out of New Orleans. Yep, we're super stoked. Christian, he's an award-winning writer-director. He has nine Vimeo staff picks and has worked with clients all across the globe. Uh, he's even worked with some pretty big music artists as well, and just his his portfolio is pretty impressive. So we're really, really excited to have this conversation with him. And then, Paul, what what do we get into in this episode? What can people expect? Well, Ed, I don't want to spill the beans too much, but let's just say that Christian was dropping straight golden nuggets around everything that comes with being a director in the industry. Yeah, and he really uh, talks a lot about kind of the the different contrasting viewpoints of being like a one-man band and then also working on like huge productions with big crews. And I feel like if you're kind of one-man band or you're a freelancer and you're listening to this, like there's a lot of good insight in this episode uh, that you'll probably, you know, walk away from feeling fired up, more encouraged, and just like having more knowledge on this whole production process. So let's roll intro music and get right into it. What's up, Christian? What's up? <laughs> Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for joining the Mid Combo Podcast. Uh, we're really stoked to have you here. It's so funny, like me and Paul, full transparency, we actually are very curious to know about Christian because we have no idea really his journey <laughs> and his story. We yeah. got connected uh, through a mutual connection and I checked out some of Christian's work and he's been doing some really cool stuff, really great projects. I love his work. And so really excited to just chat through his story. But Christian, maybe you can just give a little bit of an intro about kind of where you're located and what you do. Uh, I live full-time in New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, also born and raised here. But I split my time as a film director between here and LA and New York and everywhere else in the country. So primarily, I um, make features, commercials, music videos, everything that you could... uh, imagine it's in, in terms of what a director might fit in you know that's mm-hmm. awesome so you're based out of new orleans but you go to la new york all over the world mm-hmm. quite yeah. frequently um i'm always curious because i'm a brand photographer i have never ever really been a part of like a featured film or have i been a part of a production that mm-hmm. i'm sure is a much larger crew like you have um what is your bread and butter what is your niche um, if you will, when it comes to just filmmaking? I think any director would, would tell you commercials are kind of the bread and butter for anybody. Um, so yeah, I, I have uh, reps that are in New York, LA, and London um, that basically give me boards from agencies, brands all over the, all over the world. And the process usually goes, you know, you get shortlisted as a director, whether you know, a, a brand or an agency would go to maybe 15, 20 different production companies around the, around the country or, or the, around the world. And they'll make like a short list of directors that they want to actually bid on the project. So mm. uh, once you get shortlisted, you're like competing against two other guys or two other girls, you know? Um, so it's like a triple bid situation. So it's competitive and it's highly creative. It's highly sort of, um, there's a lot of pressure involved when, in terms of some of the budgets are, you know, fairly significant as you can imagine. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I, I kind of thrive on that process too, mm. you know, like I, I really do enjoy it growing up playing sports and stuff. It's just, it's right in my, my wheelhouse, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. I'm so curious about the rep side of things with the way that you operate, because to be honest, I grew up in Minnesota looking up to a lot of LA, New York photographers that were represented by multiple reps. Um, Is it one of those things where you don't have to go out and find business because your reps are, you know, in charge of the negotiation, the pricing, all those things. So then you essentially just have to, you know, once the, once the bid gets approved or your rep says, hey, Christian, you got a project that um, we were able to land for you. They get a cut, right? And then you're on that project? Yeah. I mean, easy enough. I mean, that's it's. there's a lot of things that go into it, I guess. But the bare bones is, yeah, what you just said. Like, they're, the production company um, that is repping a director, 
usually they, it's a percentage that they that they take just like a markup you know what i mean like anybody else would for like a product or a service or whatever mm. but the production company wins but they have to produce the actual films you know so the production company has producers they have you know uh location scouts they have like everything that you would need they would go into you know we could go into salt lake and just crew up real quick i would bring mm -hmm. in a cinematographer um you know it's weird how the commercial world, world works because you're working a ton for no pay like in terms of you know you get a bid and then you write a, a treatment for that which would take three or four days Sometimes it takes a week. And then if you don't get that, then you don't get paid for that work. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you're, you're bidding on the, the potential sort of possibility of winning a job, um, which is not one of my favorite parts of, <laughs> of being a director, but it's kind of become like the norm. But if you win that thing, then it's basically like you're going to get paid for the days of the shoot, you know, mm -hmm. like you'll, you'll get paid if it's a, one day shoot or a four day shoot, you'll get paid for each of those days. But as a director, you're leading up to the project for weeks, you know? Yeah. You're like in pre-production for weeks and, and th all the way through post-production for weeks. <laughs> so that's why I think, um, you know, directors on those days get paid a lot of money because I think as opposed to like a cinematographer or, you know, an art director would come in for the day and they would just make, you know, they would make a day rate, but it's good, but it's not like something crazy. It's like, you know, I think a, a great commercial cinematographer is making somewhere between like $3,000 and $7,500 a day, hmm. but they just get to go, they get to come and then they get to go and then it's over, you know? Yeah. That's nice. Totally. But that as a director, so nice. yeah, as a director, you're kind of with this thing that you created from the beginning, you know, for, mm. so when you do win, it's very lucrative. You get paid a lot of money. Um, and it's a lot of fun. You get to travel. I get to, mm -hmm. you know, some of my best friends that I have to this day are people that I've met on commercial sets and stay in touch with, you know, that's, yeah. awesome. that's generally that's cool. the process. That's cool. How did you build the um i guess grit would be the word like how did you build that stamina and grit to be able to like not get discouraged early on in your directing career like dude this is like i can't land bids like i'm spending so much time on these treatments like yep. i feel like in in me and paul's world like where i guess the people who are listening to this may not be you know putting bids as a director but they're definitely sending out proposals to brands right like a brand is kind of showing interest they'll spend days sometimes on a proposal like and then they don't get the job and they're feeling super discouraged. Like, how did you get over that hump, I guess, early in your career? Yeah, early on, I think I was dreaming of the situation to be told no, for sure. Because I think for so many years, um, you're doing stuff for free. Like, you guys know this. Like, you're doing stuff for free. You're doing stuff for your homies that's like, okay, like, we just have enough money for, you know, to get this location or something, you know? Um, so I think for so many years, I was kind of eager to get to the place where I was being told no, because you do win sometimes you're sort of chasing the dragon to a degree of like, uh, that one win that you had last year, that was like incredible. The job was incredible. You, you got to do something really, really great. And then the next two you lose, but at the same time, you, you have to imagine like, it's not just you that is sort of getting to that place, there's a ton of other directors that are getting to that place as well. And the competition is like, I mean, there is a lot of amazing directors out there, like mm. absolutely incredible um, in terms of like, and a lot of people who have a very specific voice too. Like, I think that's the biggest thing that I would say is like early on, it's really your job to figure out who you are so that when you do get to this place, where you're bidding against other directors that it's very clear in my mind that if I lose something, they just wanted something else, you know, mm. but I, I'm not a kind of, I'm not the kind of director that goes and treat and writes a treatment that is very different from something that I would do, you know, just to appease what the agency has said or whatever. Usually mm. I'm getting a brief from an agency and like, 
I'm going to tweak it a little bit. I'm going to change it to something that is singular to me so that it's, it's either me or it's nobody, you know? Mm. And I think that comes from, yeah, taking a lot of the early part of my career and figuring out what is my thing, you know, like what is my voice in terms of everything, the way that the camera moves, the lensing that I like, the the kind of casting that I like to do, the kind of pacing of a story, you know, mm. I think that's like the most important thing that you could do really early on. Um, but aside from that, I think you just have to be obsessed with making films, <laughs> not making commercials, mm. you know, like the idea that. of like making a, being a filmmaker nowadays, like, dude, I know a lot of people who want to be a commercial director and that mm. weirds me out. I think that's great. That's fine. As, as long as you know, um, and they're very successful, you know what I mean? In, in, in that field. But I think I've always been obsessed with the idea of making movies, feature films, and like everybody's got to make some, some money along the way yeah. just to be able to have that dream. So you kind of fall into commercials a little bit, you know? But yeah, I think obsession is like the biggest thing because like if someone tells you no and I'm, and you're obsessed about something, it doesn't matter. You know, I think it inevitably is going to hurt in, in terms of like, man, did I over, did I think of this wrong? Did I like misjudge sort of the, the brief in some way, or could I have done it something differently? Like, of course you're going to have those moments, mm -hmm. you know, but I think if you're singularly obsessed with like, on to the next thing. I got I'm I'm doing this passion project anyway. I wasn't going to have time for it anyway. Them, you know, like <laughs> that's kind of the mentality that I think you have to have is like I was going to do this for no money anyway. Mm. So the idea that I could win something is good enough, you know. That's cool. I want to just like reiterate what you just said cuz I think it's so good. Being obsessed is a part of it. Um, yeah. But also have like owning your own style because I'm sure like for someone who's just getting into, um, you know, wanting to be a filmmaker, directing, whatever that looks like in the industry, it's easy to look at other people and be like, do you know what? I see them getting gigs. So I'm going to like try to, you know, do something similar to what they're doing. Try to emulate when, something. Yeah. But when you're able to like stay in your lane and run with whatever you think is going to be the best you're willing to um, spend more time on the treatment versus be like, you know what, I'm going to give up because I keep making these treatments and I'm not getting these gigs. Yeah, um, I'm sure you've had some moments like that where you're like, I just invested days into this treatment and yeah. they went with somebody else. But at the end of the day, you're so obsessed with it that you're like, you know what, that's part of the game. Where some yeah. people, most people would give up. Yeah. My wife is a, a full-time doula um, here in New Orleans. Cool. And she, very funny enough, has a very similar um, process in terms of like how she gets work, which is she <laughs> she is like repped by a doula company that mm -hmm. like basically moms, like moms to be, would come into this company and ask to interview different doulas. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so that's so cool. Yeah. In the last year, like we've been having a lot of these conversations where she's come up to me and just been like, I'm very upset that I can't, that I lost this one. And like, I don't know what to do. Like, how do I, how do I like protect myself from getting upset? So mm -hmm. luckily I have some like, just like hard experience and like, you got to mm -hmm. be able to just separate it. You got to be able mm -hmm. to just be like, would you do this for free is a very good question. You know, would you do yeah. this for free? If the answer is yes, then it doesn't, then you'll, you'll make it. It'll be okay. That's good. Have you and your wife ever had conversations that have to do with, you know, maybe it's like just not getting work through your reps and being like, what's the deal here? Like, why aren't I getting any leads or why, why aren't they sending me jobs? Because they essentially represent you. Um, has there been seasons yeah. where you're like, I'm going to call my rep and ask them what the heck's going on? Or would you say it's like a consistent flow of work? Um, there's always seasons, dude, especially coming out of 2020. It's like, <laughs> yeah. what it, what is even like a standard like anymore, you know? But I think in terms of, it, it's a different level of project that my reps would like bring me, you know, like they're, 
I have stuff that I do on a regular basis that's like very much mustered up by me, whether it's a music video or short film or, you know, I'm going to go help my friend produce this, this short film for a week or something, like something that I'm sort of mustering up. And then these companies are bringing sort of like, um, and it's always weird, man. It's like, you know, Blue Cross of California or like Walgreens <laughs> International, like, um, but the spots are like very cool, you know, it's like people standing on horses and shit and you're like, okay, I, I guess I could do this. Um, but yeah, I think. Sorry, what was the question? I'm like losing myself. Uh, <laughs> no, like, dude, it's just, I think Has you it been fresh? It. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's been frustrating I mean, at all. Because I'll be honest, your portfolio is just incredible. And like, it's cool to hear that you do go through seasons where they're, you know, works slow um, or works just not coming in. And it sounds like yeah. how you balance that as passion projects or simply hopping 100%. on a project with like someone in your uh, network, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, dude, I think. Any any director would tell you like any like good director that's doing commercials and whatever. If you're doing one project a month, that's like probably the healthiest situation that you could find yourself in for sure. Mm. Like they're very long process. I mean, say what month is it right now? May. If we if I start January first, I mean June first on a. Uh, on a bid, you know, a bid comes in, hey, we need a treatment by June 7th. Okay, write the treatment. Then they take a week to to award it. And then you're not shooting until July, you know, 14th or something, <laughs> July, whatever. And mm-hmm. then you get ready that entire time, you know, whether it's I'm mm-hmm. going to go out on the last week of June, scout for two weeks, prep for another week, shoot for four days, and then post is another three weeks you know like so you have to get into this situation where um you're bidding on a project while you're waiting for that you're shooting something and then right when you're finishing that you're getting awarded for another thing and then you're and then you're prepping that and you're bidding something it's like this constant sort of chain chain link situation that you would try that's the goal you know for i think any director but i think Mm -hmm. i mean i have a lot of director friends that are you know, they'll do six months of commercials where they'll do maybe four or five projects and then they'll um, take six months off and just write their script, like, write a feature script, <laughs> get ready for... I mean, to a degree, it's a vacation because you're not... I mean, That's you're staying awesome. at home or whatever, but um, I think it's like take six months and work on whatever passion project that I have, whether it's a feature or, or yeah. whatever, you know? I must say that sounds pretty nice. Jason, did you go to um, film school? Nada, bro. Nah. Dude. I, could, I mean, I we mean, could probably talk about that for a minute, but... Yeah. I mean, so, like, yeah. my, like... Uh, to go way back, um, I started playing music when I was, like, 10 years old. Um, and I thought that that's what I wanted to be for the rest of my life, for sure. Um, I, got, I was very pretty good at the drums. Um, by the time I was 14... I was playing in pretty consistently in New Orleans with different bands and whatnot. Um, and then sort of almost basically dropped out of high school to go play on tour and stuff like that for with different bands. Um, so when I was 17, 18 years old, I, I thought I was just going to be a musician, you know? But I had always been, like I said, <laughs> I've always been obsessed with movies and like, I was always the guy growing up that just had a camera and was like very um, into documenting things and creating stuff and creating short films and whatever. But at the time, like, I mean, that was like 2002, three, four, like there was no 5D, there was no whatever. It was just your mom's VHS camera, you know? <laughs> so like, that's all I had. And then eventually like the 5D and stuff starts coming out and you're like, oh shit. Um <laughs> So I just inevitably became the guy who would make our music videos and who would shoot our album photography. And eventually I would do that for another band and then another band. And then, oh, this nonprofit wants me to do something. And then, oh, this like local, you know, t-shirt shop needs something. They're going to pay me 600 bucks to come and make a film. It's like, just like anybody else, that's kind of how I learned, you know, but I didn't have the grades or the money 
to go to to film school, unfortunately. <laughs> I would have loved to. If, I would have absolutely loved to. But I think it was a benefit at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, uh, <clears throat> I mean, I didn't go to film school and I like, I've learned videography just all self-taught kind of from like YouTube and yeah. all that kind of stuff and filmmaking. But I think one thing that's fascinating to me with about what you do too, Christian, is um, like... I don't know if it's just me, Paul. Maybe you feel the same way. I don't know if you felt this way, Christian, too, and you're kind of getting into directing, but I feel like the barrier to entry from like a solo run and gun, kind of like someone who shoots video, right? If this is for people who didn't go to film school, like that, and then the barrier to entry to like running a shoot with like a production crew and that production pipeline, it's like the backdoor thing. Like it's really hard to like make that like jump. Like how do how does one who's listening to this right now, they're like, hey, I kind of want to start taking my videos, taking my client work to the next level. It's like, where do you even go to? I mean, there are some YouTube channels that talk about filmmaking stuff. But for the most part, I feel like it's a really like big barrier to entry if you're trying to like learn about the production pipeline and the process. Yeah, that's a very good question. Mm. And it's actually hard for me to like remember specifically because it's so slow like the process is so slow that you it's hard to even have like a recollection of what happened but i i mean you're right like i started as like an in-house filmmaker just one man band for a company called music bed which is a music music licensing company dude that's awesome Um, (laughs) we love music bed so they were like my first job you know what i mean so i think for me in terms of i only have sort of my personal story you know but I think whether that's you going to work at an agency as like the one man band guy or you going to work at a church as like the one man band guy, I think you have to just work your ass off as much as possible with like the mm. opportunity that you have, you know? So I think mm. like we, it started out with me just being a one man band at Music Bed. We started making content, got a couple staff picks, and then Daniel was kind of like, the owner was basically like, we should like kind of invest in this a little bit more. So like I hired a producer and then eventually a cinematographer and we were making two films a month, you know, on a regular, and these are like pretty sophisticated, like shoots where we would, we would fly out to Australia or we'd fly out to Europe, you know, somewhere in Europe, like to shoot with an artist for four days Mm -hmm. or something and come back and try and make these like really incredible pieces. So I think whether that's, you know, that was, my situation, but um, I think it comes from like, let me, the, the mentality of like, let me like really kill this with what I have, you know? And at the time, like when I first started, it was a 5D and then <laughs> we moved up to a C500 and then we got a red and then uh, eventually got a cinematographer who like went to film school <laughs> and like <laughs> could show me like, Hey, like if we get a, if if we get like a, a grip department for this one thing, it's going to be much better. You know, if I, if I can rent some lights, um, these things that just kind of expand your, your idea of what a shoot could be. We're like, for so long, you're just doing it one man band. And you're like, um, it's hard not to, it's hard to get out of that eventually, because I think you need to just surround yourself with people who, um, know how to expand a little bit or have experience with expanding. So like I always tell people in that situation, like um, whether you're just freelance or whatever, but you're doing everything, I would say like you get like a job that's like, okay, you know, this local t-shirt shop is going to pay me five grand to make like a anthem spot, right? I would take, get the creative down to one day and I would spend four thousand dollars on a cinematographer to like come in like an actual cinematographer you know whether Mm. that's local or like go into your own pocket and like um fly that dude in and like get your homies to like you know come in and like help the dude but like just little by little i think you'd be surprised at like how many like incredible whether it's a cinematographer or art department or whatever they all need money you know, like they all need like uh, jobs, you know? So like, I think you'd be surprised at like, you know, if you're a younger uh, director or whatever, you have these cinematographers that you follow 
whether it's on Instagram or wherever on Vimeo and like they are available to you. Yeah. Like a hundred percent. And you just have to prioritize and sometimes take a risk on, I'm not going to make any money on this job, but I'm going to pay for this experience for this person to come in and like expand my horizons on like, you know, so you can get, get bigger work and better work. Yeah, because inevitably, if that's the easiest part about it, dude, is like, if I have the best sort of people surrounding me, isn't my work going to be better for that? You know, mm. just like, it's like ones and zeros, you know, like, or two plus two equals four. It's like, mm-hmm. if I just spend the money and, and nobody knows how much, nobody gives a crap about whether this guy's getting paid this much or this guy's getting paid this much or whatever. All they see is the work. You know, yeah. So if I prioritize mm-hmm. sort of new experiences and like people are at a higher level, then I am inevitably going to be sort of brought up to that level. You know, that's fire. I think that's I think that's good advice for um, you know, <laughs> anyone who wants to, I guess, be a role in a production. Um, like for you, it's director, but like there's people that I know that would just die to you know be the cinematographer. And it's yeah. like, no, it's no different than working at a restaurant. You have to start somewhere and you start as the person that's the hostess. And then eventually you might become the manager, which is in this case, the director. Um, so it sounds like you wore all the hats before you landed on, you know, what you always wanted to do, which was being a director for these featured films. It's the same reason on like a, you know, I'm not picking fun or anything, but it's the same reason that you guys hire an editor to do this thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. One is because it's going to free up your brain to go do the other things that you want to do, right? Mm -hmm. And it's also going to make the quality because you're not like, you're not doing everything that you have to do during the day and editing this podcast. Like, let's get somebody who just can focus on this so I can be a better whatever I'm being, you know? Mm -hmm. That's the the pitfall of like a one-man band thing. And you have to do it, especially in this day and age, dude. Like, I think you you have to... it's very rare that I'll meet somebody that doesn't know how to color or doesn't know mm-hmm. how to, um, you know, doesn't know what, and like what aperture means, you know, mm-hmm. or like exposure or whatever. Like mm-hmm. it's very, I feel like that's kind of like the older generation where like you're just creativity and whatever. But I think the more information you have, the more collaborative you could be, you know, whether it's with a cinematographer or like, um, dude, I find myself even getting into just more fashion stuff now where like, I want to be able to talk texture to like a wardrobe artist, you know, that's like something wow. I'm trying to like expand, uh, this year and like buying a bunch of photo books of just like fashion and like, um, older books too, where you get these like, okay, I want to know sort of like texturally what is like nice in these kind of uh, exteriors or these kind of interiors or whatever. Like that's cool. Just be obsessed with like all aspects of it, you know, Mm. then you can, you have, it's like expanding your vocabulary, you know? I think that could be the title of the episode. Be obsessed with the process and every aspect of it. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. (laughs) let's be honest, man. Like I actually have started becoming more of a director when it comes to my commercial clients. Yeah. And there's little things like even making sure that um, like I find myself steaming shirts on set for the wardrobe yeah. and I'm obsessed with that. It's weird, but I'm obsessed with it because I know it's going to make the final piece look that much better. Um, yeah. So I think that, yeah, there's a lot behind what you just said. And I think that's the best way to kind of describe and sum up your passion for what you do. Um, and it definitely shows in your work, which it's 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 cool it's cool hearing you say it because i see it in your work that you're you know extremely obsessed with like every aspect of it from lighting to the talent yeah. to making sure that the um you know hair and makeup's on on point yeah i would say so. I, a lot of people would uh i've definitely had my fair share of, of uh arguments doing that as well <laughs> but at the same time i'm like in like a non sort of egotistical way it is your show, you know, like it's yeah. your, even when it comes to uh, working with a cinematographer or something, whether um, we're having like a little dispute over like, um, 
the simplicity of a shot versus like a camera movement or whatever at the end of that conversation, like it's your show. Like, mm. what do you, what do you want to do? You know? And I think you have to just figure out and ha you have to like, know that you're making the right decision, you know, but that doesn't come from just guessing, you know, yeah. I think it, it's, it's gotta come from thousands of hours of making the wrong decision, you know? Mm -hmm. I, we got a couple more questions for you. One that comes up is, as the director, you're orchestrating everything. Yeah. Um, you know, there's people that listen, that are listening to this that are probably very confused by even what we said at the beginning about you being um, represented by uh, reps in the industry, just because <laughs> there's, you know, people from all different levels of freelance. But I want to ask, like, what tips would you give to someone, whether you're a freelance brand photographer that is hiring talent, hair and makeup for a shoot, or you're doing um, featured film projects like you are where it's a much larger crew? What are some tips for how to be a, a good leader? Because at the end of the day, everyone is <laughs> watching you. Everyone's listening to you. You're orchestrating it. That's a great question. And I, it's so specific to, to each person too. But I think... Um, my mentors that I've like stayed close close to over the years um, are all probably the best listeners that I've ever seen. Mm. Like, and not in a weird sort of like, um, I don't know, it's not weird, but it's, I think they, the best leaders to me are like people who um, are able to, allow each person to be bought in to the process, you know? Mm. And I think that comes from, from listening to them in a, in a very simple way, you know? And I think it's, um, and I think you'd, you'd, you'd probably, if you go back 20 years or 30 years in the film industry, I think it's a very different story. You know, I think mm. you, we've all seen these videos of directors or actors or cinematographers like yelling at people on set. And like, it's like this big chaotic thing. Um, I think that's a, I think that in, entire generation of that mentality is phasing out, you know, mm, and I think that's it's good. because it doesn't produce the best, um, the best product anymore. I think like something highly collaborative um, is going to win. You know, but I think the way that you get there is by listening. And I think in a practical, uh, a practical sense where I think you'd have to be a crazy sort of e egomaniac to like think that you know the difference between, um, you know, if you're like hanging curtains, like I don't know anything about hanging curtains, you know, like I know what it should look like in my head, but like, yeah. Sometimes you get in these weird situations where like you're having to create a false wall and there's got to be curtains there and they got to look a certain way, but you're with all of these constraints or whatever. Yeah. Um, so like listening to me is like going up to like, not even like the production designer, but like an art, like me and the production designer, are like having sort of a standoff in terms of like, I don't, I don't like it. She doesn't like it, but we don't know what to do. <laughs> and I just, I'll go up to the, one of the props like prop you know or an art director or something and just be like what is the answer like what do you think and mm -hmm. most of the time they give a great answer and we just do that you know like nice. there's there's always things like that that i think looking for opportunities because i think that's a you're killing two birds with one stone in that situation one you're figuring out the answer to a problem yeah. but two you're getting somebody else bought in because now they're now they're like actually involved in like, oh, like my idea is being used right now instead of like, mm. I'm just a, I'm a hand or whatever, like to, mm -hmm. to move X, Y, Z, you know? Mm. I think that's what I would say is like, be a great listener um, and then be like a great interpreter in a lot of ways. You know, I think it's a the director's job more or less is, is interpreting things through a filter that you've, only you can have, you know, from, you know, whoever hurt you as a kid and then like whatever girl dumped you in your high school, you know, senior year. Like there's these filters that each person or each director has that like you filter all of these sort of um, commercial treatments and like briefs and like feature mm -hmm. films and like 
me and you are not going to write the same movie ideas, you know? No. Yeah. We're going to have completely different uh, filters through life. And I think, so that's a struggle, dude, is like figuring out, you know, 10 people from an agency have this sort of brief or whatever, and they're asking you to filter it and make it better. And you have to be able to one, listen to what their intention is and then serve them by making it better through your, your process, you know? So, wow. I'll be honest. (laughs) I love your person. I love that you, um, sounds like you have patience because to be honest, we all know that there's a lot of egos in the production world. Um, where yeah. you got to be willing to receive feedback. I push on that a lot with people when it comes time to working with clients, big or small, because as creative as you are and as great as you are, guess what? There's going to be feedback, and if anything, it's going to be feedback that's going to make it better. And if the client is looking for you know, changes or if the company that's going to be hiring you is looking for adjustments, they're looking at your body language, they're looking at your excitement, they're looking at yeah. all, you know, everything that you do because they want to see if you're going to be a good partner or not. Yeah. A hundred dude. I mean, any like commercial director, dude, this, it gets really meta too, like very quickly <laughs> in terms of like and everything is over Zoom right now, you know? Like you're not pitching treatments, you're not flying out to LA to pitch a treatment. Like they don't have yeah. time for that. Yeah. You're doing yeah. it over Zoom. And then it used to, you know, five, six years ago, sometimes it was just a phone call. They had nothing to go on but your your words. Mm. Um, but you have you have to like, I think the biggest thing, and this is, a, if you're pitching something, this is the biggest thing that I've learned. I'm a pretty relaxed dude. Like I do have a lot of patience and like whatever, but I'm more, I naturally sort of, if I go into a room of 10 people, like I'm not talking, I'm, I'm observing and listening and like I'm in my own space. But when it comes time to say something and pitch sort of your idea, like enthusiasm will always win a hundred percent. Like you guys know that, like if you're not visibly or auditorily excited about this blue cross of California spot, like (laughs) they're not going to hire you. You know what I mean? As weird as that sounds. And it's like, um, I spent a lot of years trying to, I had to get out of that sort of mentality of like, I'm going to be me and like, I'm going to be sort of like Mm. a little more casual or whatever. But I think as soon as I like got out of that and just put, I, you put on a little bit of a higher voice, you sit up straight, you like, when you're like reading through your treatment and you're like pitching some like scene by scene, beat by beat, do it as if it's real. Like, you know what I mean? Like do it as if mm. it's like, um, do it as, as if it already exists and you can like, and you're, and I, I think one of the biggest things that I added uh, into that process was like memorization. You got to memorize this stuff, you know? Cause if you don't know it internally, like we can all tell when someone's just reading something, you know? But I think mm-hmm. being able to internalize something, you bring out all this nuance of the of the treatment, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think being able to like enthusiastic, you know, what's that word? Enthusiastic. Enthusiastically? That's a yeah. word. Hey. <laughs> That's a long word. Uh, enthusiastically like yeah. make them excited about their own project. Like that's the goal, you know? If you make them Dude. excited about their own thing, then you probably won for sure. Mm. That's a golden love, nugget I right there. That. that is. That was a fire bit right there. I, I just that's a perfect segue into a question. The um, a question that I had, um, and we're also approaching like forty minutes here, so we don't have to go too much longer. But I'm here for you guys, man. Whatever you want. Yeah. You want All right. Two hour podcast. Let's get One. it. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I feel like a lot of people listening to this podcast right now are creatives. They're photographers. They're videographers. They're People who I think more so, Paul, maybe you could, you could agree with this, but they're more so leaning towards the one-man band kind of uh, type of creatives, right? Um, a common thing that I feel like people run into is the fact that, you know, they, they go on social media, they go on Vimeo staff pics, they see all these like dope spots that are like pretty much little short films, but and at the end, there's like a brand logo on it. And it's like, it's, it was like a brand video. It was like a, it was a, it was a video for, 
yeah, Blue Cross California or something yeah. or Walgreens or something. So it's like like a new car company. When um a one man yeah, but like what if um uh, a smaller team, smaller crew or even one man band wants to work with let's say a local business or maybe this something's like smaller budget how do they convey their message of like, I want to make this like a cool anthem thing. Like, I don't want to do like a typical corporate sit down interview with B-roll. Like how, how can they work on those dream projects where like they can do something cool? Because a lot of times these business owners, like when they approach these people to make commercials or ads, it's like super cookie cutter, like corporate style. And that's what a lot of uh, freelancers end up get stuck doing is like these kind of boring videos. And um, I, I feel like there is a happy medium where if you can pitch it right, I guess that kind of comes into the whole treatment thing. If you could pitch it right, how do you work on these like cool spots for these, uh, let maybe smaller budget uh, brands, yep. I guess. Dude, that's a absolutely brilliant question. I don't think I have like a, no one's ever asked me that. So Christian, I, don't think I think I'll you touched like, on it earlier. I think mm-hmm. you touched on Did it I? when you said that you got to be willing to invest money out of your own pocket yeah. or budget mm. to make things that much better. Because here's the deal. I'm not trying to answer this for you, but you said it. It's like, not everyone is going to see the value in something. Like, for example, like a grip on a small commercial shoot for a small company. But like, what if you went out of your way and you're like, do you know what? Instead of taking home my day rate, I'm going to put this money towards someone who's going to run grip so we can have Mm. like better quality. um, So then they can see that and that'll eventually make their portfolio better. Right? Yeah. I'll give you, I'll give you a, a practical example from something that, that I've done in the past and you can go see this spot. It's on my website. Um, Christian There's a spot called LSU E. Have you guys seen this, this spot? I don't think I mm. have. I, I've seen a, f- a, a few of the videos on your website, but I don't think I've seen that. Yeah. One. So LSU E is a sister campus to LSU, like the big, you know, LSU college. Um, and it stands for LSU Eunice, which is in the middle of nowhere in Louisiana. Um, and they came to us with like, with what I would say most sort of people would go, that's a lot of money. Like it was, they came to us with $25,000 and we needed to make, um, this is a video that you would go into you know, if you're touring the college, you would sit in a room and you'd watch this video about, you know, this is what they wanted. This is like their brief or whatever. We want a video for like a tour to like show off the campus in like a really beautiful way. Um, And so what I, what we ended up doing was taking every bit of the money and I didn't get paid. Cinematographer didn't get paid. The producers didn't get paid. We ended up putting more money into our project because they also told us you can do whatever you want. Like we're not going to have, like there's no, um, Mm. you have to hit this benchmark or whatever. So I would say, just to go back to your question a little bit, I would say find situations like that as opposed, and it doesn't have to be for 25 grand or whatever. But find people who are honestly saying, like, I don't care what you do. Like, I just need, I need content. I need stuff. I need whatever. I need uh, an anthem spot. But I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like, you guys are the creative. Like, let, let you sort of run. If you find Mm -hmm. people like that, I would, like, cash in on those opportunities. Like, I would spend my own money to make those the absolute best. Mm. So what we did was... We turned it into like a three-day shoot. I flew an actress out from California, like got a big group, uh, a G&E crew to like come and light the thing and had a cinematographer, had like Fisher dollies and like 18Ks out of the, you know, like out of, and you can see the spot, like it looks like a national ad. Like it looks like a, probably look, it it looks like we spent 200, $300,000 on it. It's still to this day, one of my favorite spots that I've ever done because of that sort of freedom to, so we like, I wrote an entire script for it, like myself. Um, Like I was the agency, I was the creative, like I was the original sort of impetus for the project and we executed it exactly how we wanted to. There was no agency sitting in some van, like watching us do something. 
it was just us making a passion project to a degree for this sister college that like really in the grand scheme of things didn't deserve what we were doing or that wasn't really even asking for it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but because they go ahead. I was just going to say, would you say that project though led to, uh, like, did you see the returns on that project, uh, when you did it? A thousand times. Like literally with my, the reps that I work with, around the country they send that spot out to walgreens and nike and like all these people they send that spot as like some of my best work and it it truly is like because we had no limits like we could have we could have but like i said earlier a lot of people would say 25 g's okay i think i could spend let me spend five on it and i'll (laughs) I'll make like 20 G's off this thing. And that would be a, like, you know, half my year, or a quarter of my year or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you you guys both know a lot of people who would do that, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, there's lo- seasons where I would have done that. I'm not going to yeah, lie. I'd be like, sure. yo, that's good money. And it is great money. But I think right? uh, what opportunity, what is money in our, in our industry? You know, mm-hmm. what is currency in the industry? Is it, is it actual money or is it quality of work? You know, I would, mm. I would pick quality of work a um, hundred out of a hundred times, you know, mm. instead of like, you know, uh, what is the whole adage of like, you know, short money, whatever, like quick money versus long money. Like I'm always, I'm always in, it probably definitely pisses off my wife sometimes, but I'll deal <laughs> with that. But we're in like a great spot now where we, because we made decisions back then with things like that, you know, we're like, I'm going to do this thing for free. Dude, I remember I went to, uh, I went to Abu Dhabi for, to shoot with Travelocity, like back when I was like a one man band situation. Um, And they didn't have any money, but they wanted to do this thing. And I, I think I got paid $2,000 for like, two and a half weeks of in Abu Dhabi, like basically nothing, you know, so that I could go and I could shoot with Travelocity for two and a half weeks, like shooting this, like shooting the gnome, just like in the desert, like with a camel, you know what I mean? (laughs) Who else is getting to do that stuff? But like down the road, it, it helps, you know, but like taking, you know, don't, put your nose up at like, oh, you guys don't have the budget for whatever. Like I'm better than that. You know, mm. Dude, I, I still do things for free all the time. Like here mm. um, in the last three months, I've done two or three projects for free. You know, that's amazing. Like it, it just is something you have to do. That's good. It's cool to hear that, you know, those projects that you went the extra mile um, on turned into a lot of work. Um, and to be honest, like, I'm a huge advocate of that. Like if you don't have work on your portfolio um, that speaks to the type of work that you want to attract, go out and create it, go out and produce it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Do you know Brad? Sort of what I was saying earlier. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to ask, do you know Bradford Martins? um, Or do you know a guy named Grant Spanier? That sounds so familiar. Bradford Martins. um, He's out of Texas. He actually, I was just on a trip with him in Mexico (laughs) He did a shoot for Travelocity and he said that he had to go around whatever country he was in and shoot this gnome. <laughs> so it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, he was doing the exact same thing that I did, bro. I swear. That's funny. It was the same job. <laughs> That's awesome. His main work is wedding, uh, high end wedding films, but um, every once in a while he'll get some commercial gigs and it happened to be a Travelocity uh, spot. Yeah. Dude, that's one thing that I just, I know, and I don't have anything against it at all. But like, yeah. I could never force myself to do a, to do a wedding. I, I never have. And I feel you like you got to uh, stay in that. You got to stay in that lane. <laughs> we got to hold the line. Yeah. Hold your ground. Yeah. Dude, it's oh, not man. worth it, man. Not worth it. Maybe it is oh. for some people, but I'm like, there's like a an alternate universe that I think I could have had where like me and my wife like own like this wedding business and we just like whatever. I'd kill myself now, bro. I'd absolutely kill myself. 
Nothing against people oh, who shoot weddings. It's just a personal oh, thing. Dude, that's pretty funny. Oh, man. <laughs> um, cool, man. Well, it's uh, that was a solid episode. We'd probably wrap it up around at this point. Is there... Um, yeah, Christian, where can uh, where can people find your work? Uh, kind of what are you working on right now? Like, where would you like to send people? Yeah. So you can go to my website. It's called christianmschultz.com, S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. But dude, I we shot a fe- uh, my first feature in 2019 and um, just sold it a couple weeks ago. Congrats. Oh, dude, congrats. Thank you, man. Um, but it's really just continuing doing commercials and we're shooting another feature in 2023, early 2023, um, here in new Orleans, which is going to be nice. Um, but yeah, just kind of always doing stuff, man. Just always on that chain link sort of situation, you know? (laughs) That's awesome. What's your, uh, what's your Instagram so people can find you on there? It's I am the bald eagle. That's awesome. That's the, yeah, we'll link it down below as well if you guys want to check that out. We'll link it in the description. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I know there was some fire. Yeah, Paul, I know you can agree with me, but I think there's some like gems. There's some there's some golden nuggets in there. And, and also, everyone go blow up Christian's DMs and ask him to shoot your wedding. Yeah. He's, uh, <laughs> he's got some free time. <laughs> <laughs> if it's Bro, I'm not going to lie. It, I would I mean, love to see you would... shoot a wedding, though. Just to see what the output would be. Like, it'd <laughs> yeah, be a movie. Yeah, would come out from it. <laughs> yeah. the, the, the only wedding that I... I will say this. I've done one wedding in my life, but it was a celebrity wedding back when I was, like, it, working at Music Bed. Celebrity is, like, a loose term, but if you knew who it was, you would, you'd be like, okay, yeah, this is a celebrity. But we did. Like, we had a massive... It was the only way that I would do a, a wedding was, like, okay, can I have a crane... Can I have a jib and like oh. how many cameras? So we had like, I think it was like six cameras total. We had like a, a crane. We had like two steady cams. It was like a whole ordeal. It was like a commercial shoot, bro. But that was the only way awesome. I ever did. I love that. I can't go back from that. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate, well, we appreciate you, guys, you man. man. Yeah. Thank you guys for Likewise. having me. Likewise.